Hey guys, welcome back to the Detour Live. I'm your host, Dan Jones, and joined, as always, by four-time national road champion from Australia, Johnny Tarot. And Johnny, we're coming in red hot to this episode tonight because you have strategically booked, I don't know why you picked Thursday, you knew that Thursdays were the day that we go live on the Detour, and you thought, what a genius idea. I'll organise a long lunch with all my old mate. <laughs> I got dragged along to this thing, and uh, you're coming into the episode hot. Partly true, Dan. Partly true. You like to sort of lead me into the. Uh, uh, but you're right. It was a wonderful uh, lunch with a lot of the f- uh, guys we've travelled on the detour to France with, and yeah, you know, it turned out to be your selection of the date. So don't bloody blame me for that. <laughs> but it's been a wonderful lunch, which is just finished, <laughs> and uh, yep. Yeah, so any. Swear words that come up, you can delete them or you can't because it's live. Anyway, we will survive. It's been a great day. Yeah, and it was great hearing all the old detour stories and the common thread was like, one, you've done the Tour de France so many times now and it was all the different characters that you've picked on the detour over the years, the ones that you, you clearly didn't vet the process at times. You had some interesting cats, problems with accommodation, but the common thread was people got through it. And I think it gave him a good perspective of if I can survive a Tour de France with John Trevorrow, I can survive anything. And what an important time with, with COVID and stuff. <laughs> but I really appreciate it. You know what? The interesting part of all of that, and that's very true, but the two, mate, the two most bloody uh, aggressive guys at that bunch, the two Ronnies, the, t- the, the two guys who took me, carted me to the Tour de France when I was crook, um, when they heard you and I are going back, they're the first two to pre- we're coming, we are there. So there you go. It can't have been that bad. They've already put their hand up to be there next year. Well, anyway, I've got a bit of a waffle radar and it's sort of tipping into the red zone. So we need to bring in our guest <laughs> to just sort of straighten this up. And that is, of course, Nikki Strobel, who joins us live hey, from guys. Europe. You're in Norway at the moment, Nikki. Bit of background yeah. for the listeners. You have been like a head chef in pro cycling for over 10 years now got some amazing stories because we've spent a lot of time together and you know that's a given but uh first of all thanks for joining the detour mate and uh mate what straight off the bat what is the key do you think to nutrition and cyclists to get performance out of the riders um the key is uh, first of all actually making them eat enough uh you know the, the tour de france is such a hard race that just eating the amount of foods that's necessary to fuel the engine is uh, sort of a race in its own. Um, I think this year we calculated on one of the harder days, the the boys had to eat five kilos of pasta if they needed to cover their uh, energy needs for the day. Um, so Five kilos? Five kilos of pasta. Really? So, yep. Uh, it's, it's quite a big amount of food that you have to consume. Um, so I think that's that's sort of the first point is actually just getting the fuel in that you need to to fuel the race. Um, that that's a big task just in its own. So if you get that right, that's a good start. But like you, you used to see at the tours, like riders would almost dread going to breakfast for that reason, where they knew they had to eat almost till they had to bath. And how did you evolve it to get the taste involved, where they actually look forward to it? Well, you sort of uh, need to be a bit more creative. So you need to find the foods that are 
very high in, in uh, carbs uh, just to make sure that they have to eat less quantity. Uh, good tricks are like, you know, smoothies, um, bread with uh, butter and jam and stuff like that. So like uh, things that are normally considered unhealthy for, for your average person um, to eat a lot of, uh, these guys will just go through it like every morning. Um, and we try to keep it pretty pretty solid so they don't have to eat uh big uh, big quantities like if you had to eat um, porridge for breakfast and only porridge you would have to go through almost a kilo of porridge every morning now one of the things that you were famous for nikki was your bread all right so a lot of a lot of people watching this you know we all eat uh what is the yeah. secret to making the and, and desserts food? and desserts <laughs> you like yeah. you like the french dessert <laughs> what is the secret to making a cracking loaf nikki um, first of all, your quality of flour has to be good. Uh, and then it's actually pretty simple from there. It's uh, flour, yeast, water, and time. And then where most people go wrong is they don't bake it at a high enough temperature. So you like you really need to get your oven proper warm before you, you start baking, uh, baking any bread. Ify? Yeah, I've got a question here because you're, you're getting into my heartland here, bread. Whenever I go to France, I go, oh, wow, this is the best bread in the world. No one in the world can do bread like the French. I agree. So what is so special about the French bread? Well, first of all, I think you stayed at different hotels than we do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but just anywhere you go, you go and buy uh, you know, yeah. a, a croissant or, or you know, a breadstick or sandwich, as they call it, in, in France, just – I, when I go okay, friends, I just go and order. Uh, I just have a, a ham and cheese a, roll. A ham and cheese roll, and it would just melt. I go, wow, better than anywhere in the world because of the bread. Why is that? I think I think they like in France. They have a very long tradition for bread, um, and what, one of the things that they do different compared to most other places in the world is that if you're baker in France, you make bread and only bread. Uh, all the like cakes and everything like that are made by a different baker who's specialized in, in desserts and, and mm. cakes. Um, so they're, they're just, you know, it's, it's just a tradition they have for bread. And I think a lot of the time it's because they actually put, you know, passion into it and they want to make the best thing possible, uh, which is something that a lot of people could learn from, you know, just putting some effort into food. So yeah, that, no, yeah, hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> that is a load of bloody fluff. Oh, here we go. <laughs> told no, you, he told you if he was coming in hot, Nikki. No, no seriously, <laughs> Nikki, love you. But yeah. you didn't answer that because that's all true. But what is the difference in the ingredient of a French bread? Because I don't get it anywhere else that makes it so special. There must be something no, more well, than from a, passion. From, from a consumer's point of view. I didn't ask you, Dan. No, Dan, the, the, Dan the I did not. I asked it. Nikki, just just let me give you insight. It, the crust is really crusty, but the middle is yes. soft. How do yes. they do that? Is that it's, their it's, oven temperature? Yeah, it's it's because they, well, first of all, the the fermentation they do is a lot slower than what you get in commercial bread, and the fermentation is what sort of develops the flavor in the bread. Um, so a normal fermentation for you know your standard bread you buy in the supermarket would probably be forty five minutes, an hour. Where we go to a proper bakery where they do the bread from uh, scratch, it's probably like an overnight rice. So it'll be like eight hours uh, of proving uh, 
which develops the taste. And then the crust is because of the water level they have in the bread and the temperature they bake it at. So we've got a couple of live comments coming in. Uh, worth a shot podcast. This is a regular occurrence. I think that's because we started four minutes late. Um, <laughs> it took my liver four months and I came home five kilograms heavier. That's obviously being on the, the Tour de France, is it? Um, uh, Wendy Superfan says, settle, boys. I think that's, that's great advice. John, you're getting a bit heated. And Gavin B says, I've just finished reading a Twitter thread where an American who visited Australia was raving about the quality of our bread. It was a bloody tip-top. Mind you, they pass off cake as bread. Um, I, I, would say, I would say Australia true. has one of the best breads I ever tasted, Raisin Toast. Oh, my God. It's, <laughs> raisin. it's the best thing ever. Raisin Toast. Toast it with just butter on it. Oh, so um, That's good. Nikki, give us – we should do this at the intro. We're sort of all over the shop. But give us a bit of background as to – First of all, how did you find the passion for cooking? And then how did the hell did you end up in the pro peloton? Um, the passion for cooking started when I was very young. Um, I had a granddad who was a chef and I sort of always been in the kitchen with him and started from, I think, like five years old. And then came straight out of school, uh, started as an apprentice at 15. And then it sort of just took off from there. Then I got into more like the um, uh, Michelin star cooking and stuff like that. Worked at some of the best restaurants in uh, in Denmark. Um, and then at one point, our cycling team asked us if we wanted to cook for them. And I was like, yeah, we can do that. Like we had the winter off. Uh, the restaurant I worked at at the time was closed during the winter. So I joined the team and um, yeah, quite liked it it was something way different like the first time I arrived in uh, in Spain and I had to cook for them never seen you know red capsicum before and stuff like that because that wasn't something that we used in a restaurant so it was sort of a whole new learning experience for me and then after you know I had one year with the Danish team then a year with a team from Luxembourg and uh, then I started at Green Edge and that's where my interest really, you know, started going into more like the nutrition stuff and where I started, you know, doing some studies and really looking into that side of it too. But to be honest, when I first came into cycling, I knew nothing about cycling. I had no interest in cycling. Uh, yeah, I, I just came in because I could cook and the, I really enjoyed the 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 group people I work with and how everything worked, you know, it's, it's sort of a, you get to be sort of a family when you're on the road uh, for that long and you see each other, you see each other on like your good days and your bad days. And uh, I, I really enjoy that. I find that fascinating, mate. And so what happened that you started to understand the difference between cooking good food and cooking the right food for elite athletes. What happened to make that uh, change for you? I think when uh, when I first started, the folk, uh, it, it's it's also in, so uh, to to answer that, let's just like in cycling, uh, nutrition has evolved massively over the past ten years. So when I first started in cycling, you brought a chef to make sure that your riders didn't get sick from bad hotel food. That was essentially why there was a chef. 
you didn't bring a chef to improve nutrition or to make sure that, you know, riders got specific diets or anything like that. You brought a chef to ensure that the quality of food was okay and your riders didn't get sick. And that has then evolved over the past 10 years. So now you're actually bringing a chef to make sure that you get the nutrition you want for the riders. Um, so, so that's sort of, I've been part of that journey. So when I first started, it was actually more about, you know, providing a good meal and then, uh, and then it sort of turned into being more around nutrition rather than just cooking good meals. So, so when you first started Leopard Trek, I mean, let's look at the squad. They're, they're just full of hitters. You know, you've got the Schleck yeah. brothers, you've got Cancellara, you've got Stewie. Um, that would have felt – did you understand how big it was making meals for the best riders in World Tour Cycling? No. And, and well, that's good. <laughs> so, so how was the process then? So say you're at the Tour de France and you're making meals on, on decisive days because – yeah, they on paper they they come very bloody close to beating Cadell Evans that year. Um, yeah. As yeah. if you were saying, if you're going in and you're cooking these meals, not really understanding the chemicals of or the the process of what they need for, for performance, were these guys going, "Hey, mate, we we don't eat that stuff"? Because I remember there was a big trend around that time with Garmin saying, "Oh, they're only eating white meat because it's better for performance and, and a lot more rice." They had all these theories, but it was yeah. still really green even in it doesn't feel like a long time ago but it was still really green back then yeah it was uh, like what i did back then was mainly just listen to what the writers said and what they asked for so i would just talk with the writers and then they would sort of like give me points on what they what they needed and what they wanted uh, which was at times a bit frustrating when you're working with you know the especially the guy who was really good at time trialing he just his mind was all over the place. He just couldn't make up his mind what he wanted. You served warm pasta, he wanted it cold. You served it cold, he wanted it warm. Um, so at, at that time, you were sort of just whatever the writers want and what they're asking for, and then you would just prepare that. Um, we've got another comment from Tom Maloney. It's a big one. Hi, guys. I know this may be hearsay but to this conversation, but I went low-carb four years ago, and although only competing at club level... I was able to race 100Ks better just on a bit of water. Keto advocates say that you can have a greater carb storage from burning fats rather than carbs. I believe USTT riders who came out of nowhere and won at top level were trained by Stephen Finney using low-carb regime. Do you have an opinion on this, Nikki? Yes, I do. Yes? Um, and what is that? Uh, well, low-carb is good for you know your average punter, but we're working with, the like it's less than one percent of the world population that are at the level i'm working with and even though they're doing an easy race if they try to do it low carb they like there's just no chance they would be able to keep up um a, a big difference is like a lot of people compared to like yeah i did an iron man and i did a low carb that's fair enough but an iron man you're setting your own pace and there's no sort of like sprints or anything like that where you have to be able to go deep and really put out power for shorter durations so like for your average person low carb probably works and you know a lot of people have benefited from going low carb but when you're working with elite athletes you just like there's just no way they can compete 
in events like the Tour de France or anything like that, doing low carb just doesn't work. Uh, we had riders who sort of tried, but they ended up not doing it anymore because they were just going backwards. Amazing, because Tommy Maloney, who just asked that question, old racing mate from back in my time, and, and one of the legends of the sport, actually. Uh, and I can remember back to my day, my, I was very lucky in my younger days. My, my dad w- was a pro cyclist, but one of his great uh, abilities was he, he was ahead of the game. He understood, you know, nutrition and that in the early days. So I can remember as a kid, he, he you know, saying, you do this, do that. Right at the end of my career, I rode uh, the Giro and I rode with a, a Belgian Italian team. And I realised they had no idea what they were doing. We were, it was a big stage coming up. We'd not only get a steak for dinner, they'd give us a small steak for breakfast. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the thinking was so, and I knew that was wrong. So I'd be filling myself, and I loved a steak, but I'd be filling myself on the rice and the pasta because I knew that was what was going to get me through. So the changes through since those times have been staggering. Um uh, and so I, I would love you, uh, uh, Nikki, to have been at that Giro that I rode, 981, the look at what we were doing. It was just well, ridiculous. The, the, the question is then, what, what are the things that you see that are still currently happening that you just shake your head and go, that is totally wrong? Either you see it on social or you see other teams doing it in terms of riding for performance and what you need to eat. Um, I, I think a big one is still the, the low-carb, high-fat diets. Uh, and I, I think it's because people just don't understand that pro athletes is just a, it's, it's a whole different thing. Um, you know, it, you can't really compare it. It's, it's, you know, day and night compared to like, I, I used to do a, a bit of triathlon myself, but then I went out training with, you know, the bike riders on their recovery days, I was, I was struggling to keep up because they're just that much fitter. They're, you know, they're riding so much faster and they're burning so much more energy. Um, so I think a lot of people are sort of, you know, not, not really understanding that these, these riders are something way different than what your, what your normal person are doing. Um, that, that's, a, that's a main thing. Um, in regards to what I see that people are still doing wrong, like I see riders who are eating Pringles every day in a grand tour. <laughs> and I'm like, are you opening the door for a story here, Nikki? Yeah, I know well, a story. Do, do, well, let's do let's yeah, let's tell okay. a story. Okay. okay um, so two, 2015, there was a crash on stage three and it took out most of the green edge peloton and, and Michael Matthews survived that crash. And yep. he thought at the time that he had three broken ribs and he went into the bus and he said, that's it, the ribs are broken, I'm done. And they got a, They said, hang on, mate, we'll, we'll scan this. They scanned it and they turned out that it wasn't three broken ribs, but it was a hairline fracture or whatever. Yeah. So ne- next day at the start line, he does the interview and the, the world media are like, Michael, you know, you had a big crash yesterday. How are you feeling? He goes, yeah, i got three broken ribs. <laughs> and they go, oh, my God, that's unbelievable. How are you even racing? And he got through the stage and then he got the most competitive award because on paper they thought he had three broken ribs. Yeah. <laughs> and there was there was a Swanee that had a liking to Michael. And 
I think he might have manipulated the sympathy card there and he was feeding him Pringles. Now, when they got to like the second rest, day, they all had to weigh in just to check out the riders again. I think he put on about three or four kegs. And they're like, what the hell is going on here? And then they tracked it back to... Well, I think, I think it was one of, one of the days we stayed at the... I don't know, like we stayed at small apartments at one point and... Uh, he showed up at dinner with his tub of Pringles and I was like, That's it. what's going on here? And he was like, oh yeah, like, you know, every night I have, I have a few Pringles. I'm like, do you eat the whole thing every night? He's like, yep. And we're not talking about like, you know, one of the small ones. We're talking about no, like a, a full tub of Pringles. And it's like, I, you know what? Like we could probably find something that's healthier for you and would help you. But he just shook his head and like. I, no, I, I think I, I think I was his bodyguard on that uh, Giro. And so yeah. probably I'm partly to blame. <laughs> uh, it, was, it, it was it was just one of those things where you just like, you try to convince him with, you know, this is not the best for you. You can do better. And he's just like, no, I'm, I'm doing fine on Pringles. So I'll, I'll just keep on doing that. And he's just like, Whoa. I think at one point, that one point, the team went to a crossroads. Like, how do we get bling off Pringles? Dan, you talk to him. Them. No, but you said, Dan, talk to him. Because if anyone can connect with a Pringle addiction, it's going to be you. And I remember going to the back of the bus and saying, Bling, mate, I, I know your pain, bro. Pringles are awesome, especially the sour cream and chives. I've tried many times to give up, mate. It's Just give it time. You know, it's a process. Yeah. And no, it didn't matter. But it, it, it raises an interesting thing. There are cases, people can't believe this. These riders that ride a three-week grand tour, you would think that it's like a game of Survivor. You start at the start, by the end you're just gone. There are some riders that will actually put on weight throughout yep. a grand tour and people can't yeah john's one of them you can't you can't work out how that happens how does that happen nikki um mainly it's because they overeat on the on the easier days so you know when they when they have a easy day it's pretty easy to overeat that's sort of like we have both extremes with these guys so you know, we have one day where they do 6,000 calories and they have to eat pasta until it's coming out of their ears. And then the next day they are doing an easy stage and they'll burn, you know, 2,000 calories on the bike and they can't hardly eat anything because that will, you know, put on weight. So it's, it's all about finding that balance when to eat a lot and when to sort of dial it back. And also, you know, a tub of Pringles is what a thousand calories or something like that. So that will get get you there pretty fast <laughs> every time. But, <laughs> but then, on, on the flip side, remember that year that Michael Albacini put on five kilos or whatever? They had to do all these tests, and some riders yeah. have problems with their liver and, and the gels, or like an adverse yeah. reaction to certain foods. It's 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 just the level of stress that your body is on. You're you can put on water just like your body just starts to retain water because it's under so much stress every day. Um, and that's also why like a lot of people think that, you know, the rest day, surely the riders will just stay in bed and don't do anything. On the I rest did. Day, some riders <laughs> still do, but on the rest day, most riders will actually go for, you know, a two hour ride or something like that just to make sure that the body is still, you know, turning over power, still doing something. Because if you don't do that, the body just ends up in sort of a shock going from one extreme to another. And then you end up, you know, retaining water, 
heavy legs uh, the, the next day where you have to race. So uh, Stewie is a good example. Stewie actually used to go behind the car and do all out sprints on his rest day mm. just to make sure that his legs were still turning over. So he was ready for the next day. Mm. All right. What we're going to do is have a quick drinks break. When we come back, we're going to relive a couple of classic yarns, particularly from the Green Edge days with Nikki Strobel, head chef. Look at this bike. You think it's just a bike, right? But it's not. <clears throat> it's a bike. 374 people are looking at. This guy, this girl, them, all looking at it. People from here, there, and wherever this is. People that are looking for a bike. Or just a piece of it. Amateurs. Semi-amateurs. And pro-amateurs. This guy wants this bike, but with this crank and these bars. This could be the perfect match, but not this one. This girl has a bike to sell, and thousands of people might purchase it. Eyes on Bikes help grow small businesses. His, hers, yours, and the latest data and insights help those businesses keep moving. We are the world's number one bike marketplace with over 500,000 products and 900 brands where buyers and sellers are brought together in a place where a bike is never just a bike. Bike Exchange, where the world buys, sells, learns and rides. Life is like a two-way street. It's about consideration and mutual respect. Roads are much the same. However you get around, walk, ride or drive, if we share our roads, we can all be safer. The Amy Gillett Foundation is Australia's peak cycling safety charity. Our mission is for safe cycling in Australia. Our vision is for zero cyclist deaths. Over the last year, we've seen an enormous increase in people taking up cycling, whether it be for recreation, with the family, commuting, or even to start your own cycling career. We need to do more to make it safer for every cyclist. 20 cyclists every day are hospitalised and one cyclist is killed every 10 days on Australian roads. So, the next time you jump on your bike or hop in your car, remember to practice the four C's. Be courteous, calm, considerate and conscientious. Every cyclist's death is preventable and we all deserve to get home safely. Please donate to help the Amy Gillett Foundation make the road safer for you and for me. Thanks again to Bike Exchange and obviously the Amy Gillett Foundation. We're joined obviously by Nikki Strobel, uh, head chef cycling extraordinaire uh, for over 10 years in the Pro Peloton. Now, Nikki, some of the classic yarns, I think we told this on the detour last time you were on probably, was 2012 when we were at the Tour de France. And you're in Brian Nygaard's team car and you backed it out and you backed it into a pole. And I was the only one that saw it. And I said to you at the time, I said, Nikki, there's two ways we can play this. I'll dob you in directly to Nygaard or because I saw what you're dishing up the rise. You know, and we're talking lamb shanks, chocolate mousses, the works. But there's never any left for the staff. <laughs> I said, listen, mate, you make extra and give it to me and I'll keep quiet. Or I'll tell Nygaard now. We shook hands on it that afternoon. Um, the team doctor took that same car to the airport, got stung by a bee, wrote the car off. But I said, mate, deal's a deal. The car's written off. You would have gotten away with it. But And to your word, you stuck to it, Nikki. And that showed me that you were loyal. 
I could trust you. And I put reckon I'd put talk about bling putting on weight. I put on about five kegs. <laughs> I reckon, I reckon you were the cause of Dan Jones becoming, you know, 15 kg overweight. But anyway, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, might, I, might be at, some to it. At, at least, at least Dan tried to fix that with his famous chicken lasagna. Uh, so <laughs> I think that that must have been like 2014 in the classics, and uh, I think it was the day before E3. Yeah, and, and Josie was like, "I, I'll well, you cook use my- the winch, use the winch all the time. Yeah. I don't get any help in the kitchen. I'm doing all these hours." I said, "Nikki, I'll give you a hand. What do you need, yeah. mate? I'll make a mean lasagna. Let me take over the reins one time." What happened? So, well, you decided to make your famous chicken lasagna. And uh, first of all, you made a mess in the kitchen. So it actually ended up like you and me almost killed each other because I wanted you to clean oh, yeah. up. Yeah. Um, and you were like, I'll make it for everyone, writers and staff. And I'm like, oh, I'll take care of the writers and you'll just like make it for the staff. Uh, John, she said, up beautiful Pretty chicken tea. lasagna. It tasted, it tasted it was beautiful. awesome. Tasted uh, beautiful kitchen looked like a mess afterwards and uh, so did all the staff bathrooms because during Guess the right. night during the night a lot of people came down ill uh, apparently someone forgot to to wash his hands before he started preparing chicken lasagnas <laughs> i might have mixed raw chicken with cook stuff or something something went wrong something went I, terribly wrong i i don't take responsibility for that i reckon it was your kitchen preparation you've obviously mixed something with my system and that's how it got contaminated but anyway yeah we'll, we'll get over it yeah, yeah, yeah. but but what, so, now what was the result of that how many people got sick uh i think pretty much half the staff got sick like it was yeah. like there was two lasagnas and the people who ate one got sick uh during the night and the, I, I remember especially wilson wilson was always oh, like yeah. oh, he it's just bad. woke up looking like death when he came down yeah. for breakfast. He, he didn't have weight to lose either. And no. the ones the ones like Lorenzo, he was loving it. He dropped five kegs in three days. But a lot of the, a lot of the people were filthy. And I was barred from the kitchen after that. But on a serious yeah. note, I mean, obviously with COVID, I mean, how much did the protocols change around food and food preparation? Because we used to take that for granted. And we used to laugh about it, like, you know, contamination, whatever. But with COVID, it must have changed dramatically. Um, uh, yeah, well, it was actually most changes outside the kitchen. Obviously, in the kitchen, you had to wear your mask and stuff like that. But w- when you're working in a kitchen, you know, you're trying to keep hygiene at a pretty high level and making sure that nothing gets contaminated. So th- those things weren't that big a challenge. It was more everything happening outside the kitchen like when you had to go to the supermarket and source your groceries and everything like that you know like putting on um mask and gloves and everything shopping everything from the supermarket then getting everything and spraying it down with like um a, a antibacterial spray and stuff like that so it, it was a lot of those things and the, the team decided to rent a, a food truck so we sort of eliminated being around too many other people that could uh, spread spread the virus. Um, so that was sort of the things that we did. Um, it, it's, it's, to be honest, like I know Australia has been a bit better up until now, but here in Europe, uh, last year has been, especially here in Norway, it's, it's been terrible. Uh, I've been in quarantine since January and uh, 
just came out of quarantine in August when uh, when they loosened up on the rules here. Um, so it, it's it's been a, a challenge to say the least. Got a couple of live questions. Uh, Sally says, do teams bring on board nutritionists now or just rely on their team chefs slash hotel food? Uh, yes, um, teams definitely bring on nutritionists. So I'm a qualified nutritionist myself. Uh, actually did some work in Australia at the AIS um, earlier when I did my studies. And uh, at Green Edge, we also had a very smart guy from the UK called Sam Impey. Um, and I think at this point, every team has uh, a nutritionist in combination with a chef or a nutritionist who also function as a chef. So when did the team start weighing food? That was something that never happened when I was there. But then when I spoke to Bewley recently, he said they literally, based on body weight, they would weigh food to work out how much a rider needed exactly after a race. Yeah, so... It's sort of a system that we implemented in the last two years. And it, it came from the whole thing with actually eating enough food. Uh, we saw a trend that riders were just not fueling well enough, especially after the stage and during the stage. So um, we made a system where uh, riders let us know what they have for breakfast and what they have uh, during their ride. And then we calculate what they need to eat after the stage and how much they need for dinner uh, that night. Uh, it's, it's fairly simple. It's like, you know, if you go on MyFitnessPal or something like, you know, any of those apps you can use today, uh, it's, it's very similar to that. We just made our own little program so that we can control all the variables ourselves. Uh, we've got another question from Tommy. Yeah. Uh, do you think that medical science really understands the physiology developed and makeup of cyclists who ride Grand Tours as well as a few smaller ones every year? Um, it, it's it's sort of a, a lot of studies are done on elite athletes. Not many are done on elite cyclists. Uh, it, it all comes down to elite cyclists earning enough money and getting enough support that they're not really willing to, you know, go and do a free week camp or something like that. Um, so it's 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 pretty hard to to see that you know that we we don't know enough about cyclists uh, in particular, but we know a lot about other things, and therefore we can sort of extrapolate what cyclists are, are like, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I just, I just t t what Tommy's touching on, I think, is that the difference between riding, you know, a, a week, 10 day tour to a grand yeah. tour is, is immense. And I joked about putting on weight. I actually lost 10 kilos in the grand tour that I rode in the Giro because I was overweight when I started, but I lost 10 kilos. And, and then went straight in two days later uh, through Switzerland, which, you know, I, I, I blitzed through. But um, it's a very dip a grand tour, as you mentioned before, Nikki, is so different to any other event. Yeah, um, one of the things in a grand tour is that it's you know, it's it's that many days that you uh, there's no way you're getting through a grand tour if you're not fueling well enough and if you're not coming in, you know fit and ready to go where you know the week-long races 
if if you under fuel a bit every day and you're not doing it optimally, then you can sort of still get through because it's just a week. Uh, but when you get to those three week races, you, you need to, and especially that last week, that last yeah, bloody week. <laughs> yeah, especially especially the last week. Uh, I, I reckon you know if you look at riders, they probably put on ten years uh, in the last weeks. Like yeah. they just go from looking sort of normal and then just becoming walking ghosts uh, in in the last week. Especially if it's a, if it's a very hard last week. We, we talk about the physiological, you know, benefits of food, but how much is the mental health benefits of food where sometimes you have to go, you know what, I know we've got to be strict and tight with the calories and we've got to grain feed these guys, but sometimes you just go, you know what, for the mental health benefits of giving them some chocolate mousse or something just to comfort give them a Comfort food, mate. Comfort, comfort food. food. Exactly. How important is it to find that balance, Nikki? It's, it's very important and the... Uh... You know, with, with most people, they, you know, we, we look at food and when you look at it from a scientific side, then food is just numbers. But when yeah. you look at it from a human side, food is comfort, it's taste, it's, uh, you know, all these things that you put together that creates a meal. It's also something social. So when you actually sit down together with your, like the lunch you just had today, I'm pretty sure it wouldn't have been as enjoyable if it was just you by yourself um so it's it's a uh, it's a lot of different things and it's something that you really need to consider too in in a grand tour like some days in a grand tour they just suck and there's no way around it like you have cold wet rainy days and sometimes you just need to bring up the the spirit of the team mm. um and then, uh, and then you know you can do that with food you know serve some comfort food for the guys and everything just sort of needs to be balanced out. So if you, you know, if you serve a, a pretty rich chocolate mousse, then you just need to make something else that's a bit, you know, leaner, a, a bit less. Um, so balance, balance is key. Strawberries. Strawberries. <laughs> a lot of strawberries. Yep. There's always a lot of strawberries, Dickie. You had bowls of that stuff. Um, yep. free, free Ranger. After yeah. several years of veggie slash vegan finding myself with heart disease and bypass surgery, I can now say high carb, low fat is not the answer. I think what we need to realize is that a lot of people tuning into this show are not professional cyclists. That's, yeah. that's a fact. So we probably need to give them a bit more direction on the everyday cyclist. So let's give you two scenarios, Nikki. So what should someone, we'll start with people that are in my category, that need to lose weight but want to feel good and want that stuff to taste good, what is a day-to-day recommendation for breakfast, lunch, and dinner that they should start making tweaks with? Um, I, I think uh, a, a main thing and sort of uh, the way that also pro athletes are going now is sort of periodizing your, your carb intake. So actually, you know, on those days where you're not doing anything, you don't need to eat you know a big breakfast with toast and porridge and all those things on on the days where you're just you know doing a normal day you can sort of get by with you know leaner breakfast a bit of eggs uh, you know maybe a one slice of toast or something like banana. that banana a banana, banana. Yeah, no, too, many, too many carbs though nikki uh, no like this there's really no such thing as too many carbs when you're eating whole foods and, and stuff like yeah. that as long as you keep it balanced uh with with your diet so if you eat a banana for breakfast 
then you know it, it's it's not a big thing. Uh, but if you eat a banana and then toast with honey and you know porridge and yeah. stuff like that, then you're starting to to get really into into too many carbs. I, I think, uh, and that's a thing that you know most people focus on one uh, macronutrient being you know carb is bad or fat is bad. Whereas if if you're actually trying to lose weight, you need to look at your total calorie intake instead. Um, mm. And then you can do it by either cutting out carbs or cutting down fat. That's up to you and how you feel. So what's the best food? Like, you know, that we always read stuff about superfoods. You know, this is what helps you shred. Just chow down on broccoli. What, what do you think are the key foods to introduce into your diet to sort of flush your guts? Um, I, I don't know if it's going to flush your guts, but, um, <laughs> you know, key foods are vegetables, Uh Today, we're just eating not enough vegetables. They're healthy, filled with vitamins, minerals, uh, fibers. So I think the biggest thing is just to introduce a big serving of, of vegetables every day. Is there any uh, particular veggie that you go, that's the one? Broccoli? No, nah, nah, not really. Like As long as you get a mix, because if I say broccoli and you have to only eat broccoli, then you'll just get sick of broccoli and then you won't do it. So, so mix I, the I think colors the, up. Mix the colors up, you know use whatever say uh, whatever you can get um, and I, I know that sounds really simple and people are always looking for the quick fix the yeah. problem is just like fast track this stuff mate i want two weeks yeah. i want to shred it well then just go water like yeah just, <laughs> okay yeah what do you now, reckon john now well i want to get back to the basics here so, so you and i both know nikki well and and uh his desserts always blow me away but let's go back Nikki, to when you decided to stay on after a, a, a tour down under and, and Bay Classic and all the big races in Australia. Um, and you went back to sale and stayed with Dan. Oh, great times. Yep. Great uh, times, so wonderful times with Emu and the absolutely glorious Mary, Dan's wonderful parents. And yeah, you, thought it was he, a, you thought it was a free trip, mate. You thought it, you was, thought a it was a free You thought it was a free trip, but then... He made you still cook your famous dessert cake. Oh, and I remember mate. Mary was really upset about it. So tell me that story. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I think uh, that, that was one of the times when uh, when I stayed at the AIS. And normally my trips to Australia always ends up with a visit at the dance place. And this time he <laughs> took me to his parents and, you know, we arrived there. And first thing he's like, you know what, mom? Nikki, he can make you a dessert. And I was like, what? No, I said you're a world champion dessert yeah. maker, which you are. Uh, Be so proud of it, mate. I just want to show your talents. Off to the supermarket and we made this uh, chocolate cake for Dan's mom. And, you know, afterwards, Jonesy told me these stories where he's like, she she took it and kept it in the freezer and yes. only for her special guests, <laughs> yeah. she would bring out a piece of the chocolate cake. So she, she cut it into like, like a hundred bits and it was all wrapped in like, you know, aluminium <laughs> foil and oh it was massive. But that but mate, that what amazed me with about your cooking is it sounds complex, but it's really simple. Like just tell people that recipe so that they can jot it down. If they're listening to the podcast, they can take notes. But just take us through just that one cake that you made. It was incredible. Yeah, so it's it's a very, very simple cake. Um, and the measurements I have for it are quite big. So if people want to make it, they can scale it down. 
but it's uh, 1500 grams of sugar, 1500 grams of dark chocolate, and 1500 grams of um, butter. And then you need 1200 grams of uh, eggs uh, divided into yolk and whites. And it's super simple. You just melt the chocolate, sugar, and butter together, uh, whip in some egg yolks, and then you fluff up the whites and combine it all together, bake half, and the other half you pour on top afterwards. So it's essentially like a four-ingredient cake, uh, but it, it just tastes wonderful. It's like chocolate, oh, sugar, and butter. That's you, awesome. can't re- you can't really go wrong. Now, Gavin wants to know, Nikki, what is your specialty dish that the writers ask for you the most? Oof. Um, it really depends on the writer. Uh, I know Simon Yates, it's just always curry. Chicken tikka masala. Uh, if he told me in the Tour de France this year, if I could just make it, you know, 21 days in a row, he'll be happy. Um, cool. So it's it's different from writer to writer. We have some writers, uh, Luca Mesquets, he's always asking for chocolate desserts. So it's it's really, you know, each writer have their own favorite that they'll they'll ask for. And some of them are just, you know, really easy and never ask for anything. But I, I think the, the thing that I'm asked for the most are chocolate desserts. Mm, that was your specialty. Uh, Alan, the skull says, I'm bad. I get to watch this and eat chocolate. Uh, free, free Ranger, again, that chocolate. <laughs> free Ranger said, avoid processed food, I think, is the key. How dangerous is processed food, Nikki? Uh, it's sort of like uh, processed foods are bad in big amounts. Uh, it's, it's just like you lose out on a lot of the benefits because they are made for being you know they have to be produced very fast very big quantities and cheap so you're losing a lot of the beneficial things from from the food uh, when you go to processed foods um I, I would always recommend you know making your own foods and if you can't make it like if you don't have time to make your own bread and those kind of things go to a proper bakery that uses you know good flowers that still have like whole grains in them and stuff like that instead of just buying you know your tipped up toast from uh, from the from the supermarket <laughs> so so we talked about like the average punter that wants to lose weight what about then the next level of high performance for the average punter that wants performance so what are the key foods they should be eating so d- depending on your event that you're going to but um, one thing that's very important is that if you're going to do a event that has any intensity in it you want to have some carbs before uh, that event. Uh, carbs the night are just, before? Uh, night before and breakfast uh, on the day. Um, and I, I know a lot of races uh, for, you know, your average person starts pretty early. So that might mean getting up four o'clock, five o'clock, having your breakfast, making sure that you digested that breakfast before you get to the start line. Is uh, there like a set time before, say I start at eight o'clock, when do I have to have that meal finished? So we normally go for a three-hour uh, window between breakfast and start just to make sure that, you know, everything is digested. Uh, for some people, it's a bit less, so some people can get by with two hours. Um, so what we do is breakfast, then three hours where you can have, you know, a little snack, soft drink or, you know, a piece of fruit or something like that. 
but generally you would leave between two and three hours uh, from from your finished your meal until you have to start your event. And what about in in race? Like I know a lot of pro riders have gels and you know they make sandwiches and that. But what do you think are the best foods to have whilst you're in an event? Again, it it really depends on how long your event is. Uh, if you go above uh, sort of like ninety minute uh, mark, then you need to have something in your event. It could either be drinks, gels, uh, whatever whatever you can find and whatever you like and what's easy to eat uh, there's a big difference between eating something on the bike and having to eat something when you're running or something like that uh, so it needs to be something that's practical something that you will actually eat uh, during mm. your event uh, and then try to try to really aim for about 60 grams of carb per hour Last main one for me, mate, is what is the biggest changes that you've seen in your time in cycling in terms of the way they've approached diet to what they're doing now that you know that works? Um, I, I think the the biggest change is that everything is just driven by science now, where before it was sort of, or at least it is on, on our team, so everything is driven by science, where there's actual like studies done and people have looked at, you know, different things and either confirmed or, uh, or, or seen that, you know, it's, it's really not working. So when I first started, there was a lot of sort of pseudoscience where people would, you know, I heard this guy doing this and, you know, I saw a guy eating an onion the other day. So I'm going to eat an onion now because he won the race the other day. Uh, roast garlic was a big thing at one point there. Remember we were roasting bowls of garlic and Damien yes. Housen was in the Peloton and there was yeah. like gaps forming behind him and <laughs> just yeah, seeping through the pores. <laughs> there's, there's been like all sort of different cr uh, crazes. We had one rider who were eating like gels made of uh, different fats and, and stuff mm. like that where, yeah, it, it's it's probably the biggest thing is that now it's it's driven more by science than it was back then. I think back then people were also just, you know, I heard this is good because I really like this. Yeah, um, and and then they would just do their their own thing. Ify, so I'm lucky enough to have a few mates who are you know entrepreneurs, you know the leaders of. Oh, uh, you're a hitter, mate. <laughs> well, I'm not. I'm, I'm actually on the coattails. You know, I live the champagne lifestyle on a beer budget. But some of my very good mates who are right at this moment with COVID and all of that are under pressure, but they are still leading us ahead what can you suggest for these guys under pressure is a good basic diet for them because obviously they're probably drinking fraction too much red wine and you know, but what where can they what can help them get through this tough time well and i'm not i'm not talking just about jerry but there are others out no there. no like but it, it, it also oh, depends. that's our last show folks thanks for joining yeah. us on the day tour <laughs> <laughs> sorry nikki um no, I, I think, you know, one of the, the key things is, uh, and I know this may sound basic, but getting your breakfast right actually means a lot. Uh, it, it sort of just sets the whole tone for the day. Uh, if you start off with, with a bad breakfast, you're more prone to eating bad the rest of the day. Um, so, you know, getting, getting a good start of the day with, you know, good breakfast, whether it being, you know, something that's low in carbs or something that's high in carbs doesn't really matter but just that you put 
you put some effort into that breakfast, it just means that you sort of started the day off on, on a good note and you're more, more likely to continue that throughout the rest of the day. And, and also, Nikki, what, what sort of effect would it have actually planning your week in terms of food intake? Like how much people that you look at and you, they whinge and they go, oh, geez, I'm so overweight and I feel like they're not actually planning their, their food intake for the whole week. So if you You're look looking in the mirror here, uh, Dan, in any way? Huh? Mate, I'll, I'll tell you now, people would <laughs> attest to this. If you've watched the detour 18 months ago, I've lost weight because I finally take it serious. And I, and I shop on a Sunday when I'm not hungry because when I used to go to Woolies and you're starving, geez, you fill the, the yeah. basket with just crap. Now, now I call it nude food, you know. I, I've discovered mandarins. And they're seedless and they're bloody beautiful. You know, I have I have Greek yogurt now, the, the vanilla bean with fresh berries and a little bit of granola, and I, I love it. And it's finding the, the mental side and connection with food is unbelievable where if you plan and you know you're going to snack, like I don't trust myself. So I don't buy the stuff that I know I'm going to pick at. Whereas the old days of having the fun size crunchies in the fridge where you go, Oh mate, it's eight o'clock. It'd be rude not to. They're gone because I can't get it. Whereas if you have stuff prepared, like I've only discovered celery sticks finally, and you can snack on celery sticks and bit of salt. Bit of salt. You gotta have salt, mate. Yeah, yeah. No, skull is on it. The Tamer Valley vanilla bean is awesome. If you're in Australia <laughs> and get onto that, that is magnificent. And you have that with fresh fruit, beautiful, and you become addicted. Yeah, I think you think you're making a good point there. Like actually planning out things and sort of being, you know, if you go to the supermarket and you're starving, you just end up making bad decisions because oh, you every just day. want that. Like you just want that quick fix now. Yep. It's a bit like you know putting a bandaid on a bullet wound. Like you just sort of you're not really solving the the underlying problem where like you need to get some proper food in. You're just fixing it with fast sugars and, and stuff mm. like that. So planning out your week is, is definitely exactly. a good thing. It's planning. And, and, yep. and also trying to sort of stay ahead of your, your, your hunger so that you don't get to that point where you just like you just go crazy and you're just trying to find whatever you can eat. Uh, so just that little bit of, uh, of snacking before you get to that point can definitely help. If you, you know, you spot on. Last night, uh, it was our fish and chip night. And I... I, I rang early because I know it's very hard to get in. At the moment, is that know? is that grilled fish and chip night, or is that well, battered? <laughs> grilled grilled fish and a bit of everything. But yeah. so I rang early, and when I went and collected it, I noticed the package was half the size of what it is when I get there late and order at the counter when I'm hungry, <laughs> double the size. So it was amazing how it changes. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so you're saying if you ring ahead, it's bad or better because you get less. Oh, good, good because you you're ordering what you really need. But when you get there and the smells get to you, you just yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 Bad it's have deep fried Mars bar, the worst. Uh, yeah, I know, I know that. Like I had a few trips to Maccas with with Dan, where you just like oh, roll hey. up and, and, and you just end up like. The drive-through where you just end up like, yeah, can you just get us one of each? Yeah, twenty <laughs> nuggets just to wash yeah. it down. Probably we don't pour it in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, mate, it's been a bloody fascinating chat. I know that you've uh, you're winding down your time at uh, Green Edge, but uh, you, you're joining a new team next year, Norwegian team. Um, yeah. Must be exciting. Uh, obviously, end of a chapter, but 
working with new riders, new team, new environment. Uh, you must be pretty excited for 2022, mate. Yeah, definitely. And especially so the new team I'm joining is is mainly young developing riders. Uh, and that's something I really enjoy working with, uh, teaching, you know, them how to fuel for for the future. Uh, the past 10 years has been been awesome. But you know, sometimes changes is, is needed. Yeah. And uh, they had an interesting camp, Nikki, you had to uh, rough it uh, team bonding. Yeah, uh, would you have like- a Mars bar for two days or something? I was like, you know, new team, and they're like, yeah, we'll do like a team kickoff. We go to Oslo, and I was like, sweet, you know, go to a hotel, you know, sip a bit of champagne, have a good lunch, meet the new riders, and then we show up and we come to this military boot camp. <laughs> <laughs> we like gave us a Mars bar and then, you know, a tent, and here you go. Here's your food for the next two days, and here's a 20 liter of water that you have to carry around at all times. Um, make sure you're not pour it out because that's also your drinking water for the next two days. So yeah, that that was. I was going to say like, you're looking lean. You're looking lean, uh, man. You've trimmed up. I was like, this 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 is my first and last camp with this team. Like I'm, uh, I'm called up. <laughs> I like to call up Jerry straight away, like, oh, actually, can, can I please come back? Because this is this is not like going to... Catch and kill your own. Yeah, I, like, I really enjoyed those times where we just went to Mitchelton, you know, oh, yeah. yards, you know, had a bit of wine. That's more my type of introduction to a team. But but looking back at the journey you had with Grace, you must look back and go, that Aussie influence and all those great times and experience and, you know, coming up to sail and that, and guys like Jerry, I mean, that... That's a big influence in, in your career to date, yeah? Oh, uh, d- definitely. And, you know, just uh, all the little things you pick up from, you know, the, the people you work with along the way. You know, you, I make good friends in Australia. I was lucky enough to come and study there for a few months and, and stuff like that. And it's just one of those things, you know, it's it's been 10 great years and uh, there's so many things that I'll take from the team and especially, you know, Jerry being the, being the leader of the team and really pushing, you know, the the whole, the team is the family and, you know, put trust in, in good people and then good things will happen. I mean, that's just something that I never really saw before coming from kitchens and, and stuff like that, where it's very competitive and, you know, everyone is sort of looking out for themselves, where when I got to Green Edge, it was sort of more like a family and everyone, you know, made sure that everyone was getting through in the best possible way. So yeah, I'm definitely grateful for, for the last 10 years and, and everything I learned. And also that, you know, I've got a bit of Australian influence. That's right, mate. That'll <laughs> never, serve you well. Yeah. And you went, and you got to go to sail. Exactly. Hey, sail Victoria. Exactly. Yeah. Never <laughs> never knew what a Tim Tam were before, you know. <laughs> so uh, yeah. I just remember we took you to the pub that first night. You almost got your head kicked in because I knew you were from Europe. <laughs> And it was well, just because you're standing there looking different, and Blake's going, oh, "I don't like the cut of his brush." And you're going, "Mate, is that normal?" I said, "Yeah, mate, you're in sale." Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a couple more comments. Tom Maloney says you're looking good, Dan. That's why I had to read it out. It's yep. way to go, but you're going to need uh, to be in great shape to bring up and keep up with your daughter. Exactly right, George. And son, and son, and who son. is yeah. who is the ever ready bunny? You talk about oh, put all the batteries in, uh, and a couple more. That's his young black will. 
<laughs> we'll do another podcast because uh, Jan says, thanks, guys. Very motivational podcast. Maybe we'll do one on parenting and uh, we'll actually ask yeah. the audience for tips because... Oh, I'm not geez. going there. I'm not oh, going okay. there. Oh, I do have 12 grandkids, but I'm not going there. <laughs> I'll tell you what. It's funny how three-year-olds, like, the things that they pick up on and when you... Uh, this is so off topic, but you try and get them to bed and they start mocking you. Like my daughter who's three and my son who's four, she'll go, okay, Will, we need to calm down. It's been a big day. Now we need to go to bed. And she does the hand movements as well. And I'm going, you are literally taking the piss out of me right now. Fantastic. Uh, Will Wizard goes, is Nikki going to You Know X? Is that the team? Yes. yes, the team is called You Know X. Yep. Careful because Will Wizard, he just sniffs stories, doesn't he? He's yeah, a story he's breaker. Yeah, he's amazing. Right, he is amazing. He's yeah. only been wrong once. <laughs> <laughs> don't piss him off because then he starts coming at you with comments and sledges but hey Nikki, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show mate we, we wish you all the best with a, a big 2022 keep churning out those chocolate cakes and chocolate mousses and look forward to you coming back to australia mate and i'll, I'll take you back to sale and this time you won't have to make a cake i've got the recipe now i'll do it for you thank you very much good on you Nikki. Yeah, mate. Legend, mate. thank you guys take it easy thanks mate thanks mate thanks heaps Nikki Strobel, absolute legend. If he, uh, we had another comment uh, from Wendy Superfan. She says, "Hey John, I see the Bay Crits are back next year. You can confirm well, or deny." All... Hush, hush, hush. They are back. And oh, hush, hush, hush. Yeah, they're back. <laughs> but we're we'll announce it all very shortly. But yeah, yeah, we're very excited. <laughs> but just between you and I, Wendy. They're hush, hush, hush. They're back. <laughs> Mate, you're all over well, the that's shop. what happens after a long lunch. Yeah. Okay, well, that's my cue to wrap the show. Um, thanks for tuning in, guys. Thanks, Nicky Strobel. He's an absolute legend. And as we said, we wish him all the best for next year. We'll be back again Thursday, same time, 6.30 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. Make sure that, as we always say, like, share, and subscribe, youtube.com forward slash the detour podcast. Appreciate all your support, guys. And we look forward to next week. We're trying to get Rory Sutherland. We're, uh, we tried to get him a couple of weeks ago. He's under the pump. He's been in the track worlds, but we probably will get him next week, I reckon, if he and Donna Ray. Donna, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And we're going to unpack Australian cycling. If he's going to ask him all the hard questions, he's going to love it. And we can Phil Liggett back on. And don't forget to uh, jump on his uh, website for the uh, uh, Phil Liggett uh, Safari, uh, which is yep, there. Yep, exactly. Uh, and we'll have Phil on next week as well. All right, stay tuned for that. Thanks for joining in for the show, guys, and we'll see you again next week. This is the winning ride of the Tour de France.